This morning we will read three brief texts. Our first reading is from Isaiah 9, 6-7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign over David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Our second reading is from John 14, 23 to 27. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Our final reading is Galatians 5.22-25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. And for my encore... Well, good morning, everyone. I will take note of you in a moment when I get this working. Stay. Yeah, okay. Good. It looks like it's going. As I begin this morning, I, uh, I want to go off script and not really focus on my notes for a moment. I hadn't intended on doing this, but I think I should. You know, when I came in during the week uh, on Friday, as I pulled into the parking lot and I saw the dental van parked out the front, I got super excited that the dental van was parked in front of our church. Of course, my daughter in the car did not get super excited. She doesn't view the dentist in the same way that, that I know all of you do, because I know you all love going to the dentist and you make it a habit to go as often as you can. But why I love seeing that van is because it reminds me that there are people in our community, not only in our own church, but there are people in our church, people in our community around us who are in need and who cannot afford simple services and basic dental services. And so we as a church are able to partner with an organization like the City Dream Center and enable them to do their ministry to those in need here on the church property. And as I look at a van like that, I'm reminded it's made possible really because of the generosity of our community. 
Because we gather together and we partner together and we bring our tithes and we bring our offerings in together to the church so that ministry can take place. And I just I want to acknowledge and give God praise for what we as a community are able to do together. So even as for those who are regulars, those who call White Rock Baptist Church home, for those who give sacrificially and who give kind of routinely and regularly, I know there are times when kind of Satan niggles his way in and, and we might give our envelope and go, is this really making a difference? You know, I could sure use this in my own life more than maybe those people. I want you to know it does make a difference. And it does have a significant impact. I know that over the last week, an, an email went out to the regulars. Uh, you would have seen it just around finishing off the year in terms of our financial update. And most pastors, myself included, are not always comfortable talking about money from the pulpit. Now, we don't want to kind of reinforce that stereotype, that idea that the church is just about your money. Like, I just want your money. Send me your money so that I can go on holiday in South Africa next week. Yeah, and, and that exists. And I, I know that. And so we try and avoid that. We try not to. But I'm also challenged that when we speak together openly about what God does through our funds and our giving and our finances, we see significant kingdom impact. And as we finish off the year, as we aim towards the end of the year, I just want to thank those of you who have faithfully given throughout the year and you have given even over and above as you've seen a need and so you've responded. I want to honor you and thank you for that. Uh, if you're on the kind of the, the fence sort of going, oh, I don't really know, maybe, maybe not. I would encourage you to pray about that and say, God, where would you call me to give? Who would you call me to support, to bless so that your kingdom can be built in this area? And I leave it at that because that's not my sermon. And I don't want to go uh, off track there. So maybe just have a look around quickly. And if somebody next to you looks like they're dozing off because the preacher was talking about money, just elbow them in the ribs and say, okay, now's the time to wake up. Now's sermon time. Now's game time. Hey, what is it about Christmas that makes it a time of excitement and expectation? Why do children especially... And for those of you that have got not only children, but maybe some of you have got grandchildren, why is it that young children come into the Christmas season just so excited and kind of so pumped up and ready for Christmas Day? Of course, we all know the answer. They're hoping that somebody has picked up on their hints. They're hoping that somebody has read that letter to a jolly round man in a red suit somewhere. And they're hoping that someone is going to make sure one of those items end up under a tree. So that on Christmas morning with great expectation and great excitement, they might rush into that room and find what they're looking for. But that gets me thinking. What about you? I know many of you have moved on from that stage of life. And you've realized that mainly you're just getting socks. <laughs> but other than the socks, what are you expecting for? What are you looking forward to? What are you longing for in this Christmas season? I kind of half joked about our trip to South Africa. Most of you know we're going on holiday for Christmas. We haven't seen the grandparents for two Christmases, so we're looking forward to spending Christmas this year with grandparents. And everyone keeps asking me, Brian, what are you most looking forward to in South Africa? 
And I'm always torn. Because I know I should say seeing my family. But I'm also looking forward to a proper Borovos role. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But I'm looking forward to a proper South African sausage on a bun with the proper relish and mixings. And yes, I am looking forward to hanging out with my parents on Christmas as well. What are you longing for? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, we lit up the, the Advent candle this morning as we realized and reminded ourselves last week, Advent simply means coming. And it's a time we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. We are reminded that 2,000 years ago, Christ came to earth in the form of a man, took on human flesh and walked amongst his creation. But not only that he came, but that he's coming again. And so every time we light an Advent candle, we are reminded of what happened and we are reminded of what's coming. And so with expectation, we long for his coming again. We long for when he will come and make everything right and ordered as it should be. And last week, as we lit the candle of hope, we were reminded that our hope is not in other people. Our hope is not in circumstances. Our hope is not even in our own provisions and finances or whatever. Our hope is in a person, Jesus Christ. He is our hope. Now today we lit the candle of peace. And you already know how this is going to end. You know I'm going to land at the point of saying peace is found in a person. Peace is found in Jesus Christ. And just like last week, I hope that you will walk away today with that longing to be placed in Jesus Christ. So that you would find peace in Christ alone. Last week we had a grammar lesson. I know none of you really enjoyed the grammar lesson. So this morning I'm not going to do a grammar lesson. But I am going to do a word study. So I hope you're okay with that. And I hope you're ready for this. I want to look at the word peace. And those three passages of scripture that we read before the sermon this morning all deal with this topic of peace. When we read through scripture and we find the word peace and the theme and the idea of peace... Peace talks about the total well-being, the prosperity and security associated with God's presence among His people. Peace is far more than just an absence of conflict. When we read through the Old Testament, we see that peace is linked to the covenant between God and His chosen people. And even through the rest of the scriptures, as we look towards the future, the prophetic writings, peace was part of this end time hope of salvation. In the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word for peace or the most prominent word for peace is the word shalom. You've heard that word before. Shalom doesn't simply mean peace. It has a whole wide range of interpretations and meanings. Shalom speaks about wholeness. If something is whole, if something is complete, then it is at shalom. Shalom speaks about health, even physical health. When I am healthy, I'm experiencing shalom. Shalom speaks about security. It speaks about well-being, and indeed, it even speaks about salvation. Shalom covers a wide range of topics. I experience shalom as an individual 
even right down to my core, as I experience wholeness and peace. Shalom is experienced in relationship, person to person. This was the blessing that the Israelites would speak upon one another. Shalom in greeting because we're hoping that our relationship is whole and there's unity amongst us. But not just relationship person to person. Shalom speaks of relationship country to country and nation to nation. That there wouldn't be war between us, but there would be prosperity. And there would be peace as we journey together for the mutual well-being of both of our nations. And of course, shalom speaks of the relationship of God to his people. The presence of shalom in any of those contexts was not considered ultimately the outcome of human endeavor. What they mean by that is you didn't just get that shalom because of what you did. Shalom was a gift of grace from God. It was a gift of blessing from God. And of course, it's not surprising to find that this peace, this shalom is closely linked. It's tied to this relationship and covenant between God and humanity. And that it would exist as long as God's people behave, uh, behave that's the wrong word, as long as God's people obey in worship. And if they would stay true to that covenant, they would experience shalom. And if they break that covenant, well, then shalom would disappear. And this is what the prophets came about speaking into because they realized that there were false prophets speaking peace, peace. Even though the nation of Israel had rebelled against God and were going off in their own route. And so other prophets would rise up and say, no, if you want shalom, you must repent and return to God. Restore relationship by obeying God and receive shalom. And again, the prophets would speak to shalom in a coming era. There is peace coming. There is an end time. There is a, 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 in the presence of Christ, the messianic reign would come and it would bring shalom. And this is the expectation. This is why Isaiah could say in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 that when the Messiah comes, he would be the prince of peace. That his reign would be a reign of peace. Not only for Israel, but for the whole world. And they would experience shalom. When we dive into the, the New Testament, the Greek term for peace is predominantly the word irene. Irene is a word that expands from its classical Greek connotation of rest. And it includes everything from shalom. As with shalom, irene could be used as a greeting or even a farewell. So when people would say, peace be with you. It could signify the end of conflict and it could signify the presence of domestic tranquility in a person's household, in a person's village, a person's city, a person's town, a person's nation and in the world around them. You know, when we read the benediction of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, the coming of Jesus as the Messiah is expected to guide our feet into the way of peace. And this is the angelic testimony of the angels as they proclaim the birth of Jesus. And they say that he is the bringer of peace to God's people. And Jesus as the Messiah would usher in the reign of peace. You know, Jesus understood this even about his ministry. It's the, the long expected peace of God in his farewell to his disciples that we read this morning. And even as he promises the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would bring peace upon them. 
his gift to them. Its presence, though, wouldn't simply signify the absence of war, but there may be times when that peace would still bring conflict even into dividing relationships in a home as Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 10 about a dividing sword. Yet, yet Jesus' gift of peace is the character and mood of that new covenant in His blood. A new covenant that reconciles people back to God and, base, and forms the basis of subsequent reconciliation between people. Of course, the early church understood peace to be that final end-time salvation that God would give through Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? How do I summarize that? Well, it's quite simple. You and I long for peace because we know we seldom experience it. I was blown away just yesterday reading through a running magazine and reading an interview with an Olympic runner. And one of the questions to him was, well, what's your goal? And it was fascinating that in conclusion, he said, I'm just longing for peace. I thought, isn't that interesting? Isn't that what we all long for? We're all craving peace. We long for it because we know by experience that we live at variance with others. And we don't have peace with others. And so scripture tries to point out to us that God is the giver of peace. He responds to and fulfills that longed for desire. And he has given us peace already through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus has reconciled us to God through the cross as our first priority. That's where peace starts. But then our triune Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit work together to bring peace to us, even as the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So what does that mean? How then do I live? Brian, it's all fine and well giving me a, a fascinating, if not boring, word study on peace. Now I know what shalom and irene is, and that's going to make interesting conversation at lunch. But what does that mean? How should I live? Because I want to receive peace, and I want to live at peace. So how do I receive peace? Here, Paul answers this for us in Romans chapter 5. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Paul goes on in verse 5 to say, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We receive or we initiate peace when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. When we acknowledge the Lordship of Christ and live in submission to His will. When the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us and poured into us, this is how we initiate peace. When we are justified by faith. When we choose to accept that Jesus is Lord. Now we may try to find peace in a million different places. And they always disappoint us. They're never lasting. That old song may say or may sing, I've been looking for love in all the wrong places. I think it should actually say, I've been looking for peace in all the wrong places. 
This is why some rich and famous people who appear to have it all will take their own lives. Because they do not have peace. It's why some will reach for a bottle of wine the moment they get home. Because they're trying to drown out the noise. It's why others will turn to drugs or another to gambling or another to food or another to pornography or another to adultery or another to selfish concerns, another to cynicism. They're all looking for peace and cannot find it because they're looking for peace in the wrong place. Peace is in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And I wonder, my friends, how well do you know Have you repented and yielded to Him? It is not too late. I'm not asking if you know about Him. The Scriptures make it clear that even Satan knows about Jesus. But he does not know Him. We are invited to know. We are invited into relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is how we receive peace. But how then do I live? If I've received peace from God in Jesus Christ, what about my daily living? Well, quite simply, as I consider peace with God and peace with other people, it's that old hymn, Trust and Obey. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Psalm 34 verse 14, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. If you want to live in the experience of peace, then we, you and I, need to learn to trust God that He is sovereign. We need to learn to obey His voice. When one of my children was quite young, they climbed up onto a jungle gym and they were wanting to go across the monkey bars. And the only thing was... These monkey bars were actually super high up. Like, I don't know if they thought these kids would be six foot, but they're not because they're only like yay big. And so my child is going across the monkey bars and at about halfway hanging, suddenly realized the height that they were at and started to panic. And so as father, I could see and, and I knew what was going on. But I knew that if I'm underneath my child and I simply say to them, trust me, let go, I will catch you. The interesting thing is for a few moments, you've all had this. My stubborn child refused to let go. I don't know if it's because she didn't trust. Oh, oh dear. (sighs) I don't know if it's because my child didn't trust me or, or hadn't quite yet learned to trust me. But all she needed to do was let go. Because truth be told, I was right here with my hands next to her waist. And I was saying, just let go and trust me. Trust and obey me and you'll be fine. You're dangling there in the situation of your own making because you chose to swing across. But I'm still here with you. And I will still catch you. How do I experience peace? Even when I'm in a situation of my own making, I cry out to God. And then I trust and obey what His Word says. And of course, you will only know God's voice if you spend time in His Word. Spend time learning to discern and learning to listen for His voice. And then as He speaks, to listen and obey. 
Peace with God is available for those who will spend time learning from Him and giving their concerns to Him and trusting Him with the outcome. But not only do I long to live with peace with God, I long to live with peace with one another, with peace with friends, with peace with family, peace with my community, those around me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Paul right there says, encourage one another. Be unified in the context here. It's be of one mind with one another. Share the same goal, the same vision. It saddens me. It breaks my heart when I hear of churches that split over the stupidest little things. I mean, there are churches that have split over the color of a carpet. There are churches that have split over whether a wall should be painted a certain color or whether a wall should even be painted. How pedantic and pathetic is that? That happens when we decide church is all about me and it's my country club and I pay my dues and so you best make sure I get what I want. That's a church that's headed for disaster. That's a church that's not at peace because they're not unified around the mission of the gospel. And so Paul says, encourage one another. Be unified with one another. That's how you find peace. In fact, Paul answers the same question when he writes to the Romans. And and you need to know, as a little aside here, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 21, I was this close to completely changing my sermon this week and just preaching from that passage of Scripture. And, And I haven't given up that hope. I think I might do that early on in the new year. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 21, some of your Bibles may have it with a little heading just above it. And it's called love in action. What does it mean to live in love with one another, to live with peace with one another in the body of Christ? And Paul says in verse 18, if it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Notice what he's saying. It's not up to the other person. It's up to you. Live at peace. And then in verse 21, Paul says, Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Peace with others comes when we live in such a way as to bring peace. Don't wait. Initiate. How do I live at peace with God? I receive. And I accept Christ as Lord and Savior. And that begins that journey. Is it going to change everything overnight? No. There's still a journey. And I need to learn to live at peace with those around me. I'm going to switch over to that one. I want to... Whoa. Now you're awake. I want to close off with an illustrative story. There was a... A competition, it was a painting competition. And of course, by the way, this is a fictional story, just in case you try and go and Google it and go, hey, my pastor lied. No, no, no. I told the story. There's a big difference. So there was a competition. It was a painting competition. And the theme was simply peace. And it was 
looking for the picture that best caught this idea of peace, or the best artwork, the best painting. And of course, there were thousands of entries as prospective artists wanted to capture that theme. And as the judges worked through and looked at all the different pictures and, and spent ages trying to work out, they eventually got down to two last pictures. The first one was this incredibly beautiful scenic landscape. It must have been somewhere in British Columbia, to be honest. It was just so beautiful. There, there was a lake in the bottom with mountains in the background and these green rolling mountains with snow-capped peaks. And of course, there's a reflection in the lake of this mountain and everything is just still and beautiful. And there are little patches of color from flowers and plants on the, the fields just at the foot of the mountains. And they're reflected in this water and it's just this amazing picture. Some looked at it and kind of almost thought, is this, is this really a painting or is this a, a photo? It's just so beautiful and so still and so quiet and so peaceful. And that was the first picture. But the second picture was also a mountain. But the mountain was rugged and bare and sparse. And the clouds were thick and black. And there was lightning in the sky. And in this picture, there's this raging waterfall rushing down the side of one of the mountains. And the, the river is a, a turbulent and kind of flooded and it just looks chaotic. But as you look at the picture and started to pull out, you realize that just below the waterfall was a bush in the cleft. And it was sheltered. And in the bush was a, a bird's nest with a mother bird sitting peacefully on top of her eggs. And that one won. And of course, as the judges were questioned about it, the judges realized and answered and said, peace does not mean that the place you're in has no noise, no trouble, no chaos. Peace is how we respond in that place. Now, I know that each one of us would rather be in that first picture than in the second picture. Can I tell you, my Bible says that that is coming. One day we will. We will be in those hills in peace, in an eternal kingdom in Christ. But until that day comes, we will be in a storm, in a raging torrent. For those whose faith is in Christ and who trust and you acknowledge and accept God as sovereign in the midst of that. It is them who experience peace. Jesus Christ is our Prince of Peace. And he offers that gift to each one of us today. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we worship you as Prince of Peace. I know, Lord, that for many of us, it feels like we're in that raging storm with lightning about, with floods, with torrents. And we're crying out, longing and hoping for peace. Oh God, would you remind us again today that peace isn't in a circumstance. Peace isn't about what's happening around us. Peace is internal. And so, Father, right now I pray for those whose hearts are not at peace, whose hearts are at turmoil.
Holy Spirit, would you open that heart? And would you go in and bring peace? And if that's you in that place of turmoil, I would invite you to cry out to God. To cry out to Jesus. And allow him to bring peace. And then Father, for, the, for those of us who know you as Lord and Savior. That we would learn to walk trusting you and obeying you. And as we do that to seek peace in relationship with those around us. Learning to love, learning to encourage, learning to do whatever it takes to be at peace. Knowing that as we do that, that Christ is magnified and lifted up to a world around us. And Father, we pray for the ministry of White Rock Baptist Church. That indeed as we live in peace with you and with one another, so you would add to our number those who do not know you that they might find you. For we ask this in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace. And together we say, Amen. Amen.